Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you hear those words, you can feel good knowing that. State Farm is there to help you feel supported with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. Now, let me tell you, girl, I don't got a boat, a motorcycle, or an RV, but State Farm covers my home and my car. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help protect your future by helping you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And you know what? Getting insurance can be so intimidating because you don't know exactly what you need. So having an agent that could help you with each step makes it so much easier. Girl, I feel you on that. So when things get complicated and you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Maybe you like to handle things in person or on the phone with your local agent, or you prefer to do it on statefarm.com or on the award-winning app. State Farm lets you do things your way. I personally am the type of gal that likes to do things through an app. It just makes it more easier than going in person or hopping on a call. So I love that they have that option available. Girl, I like to use an app too. I'm not trying to pull up a person or or a call because I'm way too, I have too much social anxiety for that. I'm trying to do it on the app. So that's why I'm here with State Farm. And that is why, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey there, everyone. I'm Sarah Weldon, CEO of Trufinco, a finance company dedicated to helping both budding and established small businesses. I'm thrilled to be hosting Business Perfect Formula, a podcast designed to demystify business funding, real estate investing, and business credit. My goal is to simplify the complexities of alternative lending, showing you that navigating the financial landscape can be straightforward and stress-free. Business Perfect Formula is available wherever you listen to podcasts. One or two people have said to me they don't really like this Delta variant because if it has one or two more mutations, then it will be able to break through the defenses of most of the currently used vaccines. COVID fatigue is the big reality for so many of the people I know. People are just tired of it. People are seeing Europe return to normal. And South Africans are saying, we want it too, so let's get rid of our masks. People are not hard to reach. They're just unconvinced. They're not with us. Actually, it's our job to go and be with them and their concerns. We have set up watch stations for them to be using the prisons and then provided pamphlets for education. We covered four more states in Nigeria and had a direct impact on 5,694 inmates. You can't be a systems leader unless you really meet people where they are. And that requires a lot of radical listening and feeling. Welcome to the Global Goals Cast, the podcast that shows how we can change the world. This episode, the COVID variants. Why are they so alarming? COVID-19 is spreading faster than ever before in Africa. I've just been having a meeting with the World Health Organization, and actually the alarm bells are ringing about Africa all over. The Delta variant is far more infectious. And we will hear about the biggest fear, that the virus is close to mutating in ways that would make vaccines ineffective. Which means the world needs to crush the virus now. Stop it before it stops us. This pandemic is not over. 
And to end it, we need more vaccines, sure, but also aggressive measures to keep the virus from spreading even before we can vaccinate the entire world. We'll have all that. And I speak with the biggest vaccine manufacturer in the world about vaccine supply. But first, this. This episode of Global Goalscast is brought to you by our listeners. That's right, listeners like you who care about the future. Please spread the word. Tell your friends about Global Goalscast. Hit the like and subscribe and give us five stars. Thanks also to CBS News Digital and Universal Production Music. Welcome back. I'm Claudia Romo Edelman. And I'm Edie Lush. Claudia, it has been 15 months since we did our first episode about the pandemic. We said then that the most important measure to stop the spread of COVID-19 was to listen. That's right, Edie. I remember it vividly. Listen to what others have learned. Listen to what health officials know. Listen. Right. I wish I could say the world did listen. But in many cases, it did not, and the virus spread. Well, to quote the song, perhaps they will listen now? Let's hope so, because the alternative is scary. We really need to pull together. I was so glad to join you, Edie, for this latest briefing by my former boss, the envoy for COVID-19 of the World Health Organization, Dr. David Navarro. And Cloud is very much involved in the uh, podcast. He focused on the key challenge that we're going to address today. There are people in Europe that are behaving as though the whole thing's finished, but it's not. It's rampant and it's hitting poor countries and poor people really badly. They can't get vaccinated because there's no vaccine in the COVAX store because the vaccine is being bought up still, as you probably know, by the rich countries who are now preparing to offer third doses to older people in the autumn, whilst we've got this appalling situation in developing countries of still people waiting for their second dose of AstraZeneca, 16 weeks in some cases now, and just absolutely no chance of getting vaccinated. And you get COVID, you've got diabetes, you're pretty likely to die. One or two people have said to me they don't really like this Delta variant because if it has one or two more mutations in the base pairs, where the mutations are occurring, then it will be able to break through the defences of most of the currently used vaccines. So the variant in itself is, is irritating and is causing a lot of suffering, but we'd quite like to say to this variant, stop mutating now, because we want it not to be in a situation where you're capable of breaking through the protection of all the available vaccines. But that's what I want to say to you about the pandemic and the virus, the reality. The virus is constantly mutating. We should expect variants to emerge that will break through the vaccine protection. And therefore, that means that there is a very strong case to be said for doing everything possible to reduce the overall amount of virus in the world. And indeed, that's what the WHO Director General has been saying time and time again. It's the total amount of virus that's around in the world that is creating this incredible opportunity for mutants to appear. And these mutants are really 
what could well be a, a major difficulty, especially if they're capable of brushing past the vaccine-produced antibodies and causing trouble. In some places, like the UK, the Delta variant is spreading despite high vaccination rates. I was reading the UK Guardian today, and one commentator was saying the situation is in Britain feels like a giant Petri dish. It's an experiment that's never been done before, and uh, there will be a lot of interest in the results. I'm not sure I want to refer to it as an experiment. I just want to say the UK is in uncharted territory. And, of course, the whole world is watching us in our Petri dish as the virus is spreading rapidly in other places through unvaccinated populations. In South Africa, the president has said they have got a very disturbing situation with the Delta variant and uh, there is extreme concern about it, perhaps it breaking through the protection offered by vaccines and uh, it, it's a worry. South Africa has entered a level four lockdown, they're saying, for at least two weeks to combat the third wave linked to Delta. Last week, there were 103,000 confirmed cases in South Africa and 1,188 deaths. So they've got quite a close linkage between cases and death. That's a lot of death. Namibia, if you remember, is just a little bit north and it's on the western coast of, of the southern part of Africa. President Geingob has said that Namibia is facing a dark and sombre moment as coronavirus deaths have really rapidly increased. The worst daily death rate on the continent with 15 people per million dying every day in Namibia. That's a higher death rate than Seychelles, 13 per million, and Tunisia, 7.5 per million, which also got some of the highest death rates in the world. Last week, there were 12,944 new cases and 266 new deaths in Namibia, and the test positivity rate was a whopping 56%. Namibia's hurting. And the reason why it came to my attention was I picked up that hospitals are in trouble, maximum capacity right across the health sector, oxygen shortages, mortuary is full, and the country, they say, according to the health minister, is in an existential struggle against the pandemic. We're in the fight for our very lives. And they don't have vaccines. So, just I've talked to you about Namibia and South Africa, but I've just been having a meeting with the World Health Organization, and actually the alarm bells are ringing about Africa all over. The raw numbers don't really capture the story. Both the desperate situation in many countries and the remarkable way people are rising to the challenge. Dr. Navarro brought on Dr. Lucky Azakin, a true champion making a difference. I owe this platform to all of the work I've done for COVID because at the point when we needed leadership, I was invited for an online briefing to talk about COVID. I am an optometrist by training. And so I really didn't know how to fit into the whole COVID thing. But during the online briefings, I got to realize that the first target is to protect people. So I started looking for the 
most vulnerable people in our community to protect. And we realized that they were actually people in prisons because they didn't have access to information. They didn't have access to sanitation and all of that. They were quite at risk. So I started the COVID-19 mission to prisons. We have set up wash stations for them to be using the prisons and then provided pamphlets for education. We covered four more states in Nigeria, gone to four more prisons and had a direct impact on 5,694 inmates. Then afterwards, the project got some um, visibility and the U.S. mission in Nigeria said they wanted to partner with me to make the same project available for children in correctional centers, that was juvenile centers. They want us to train young people to do that. And we call the project Kids Helping Kids. So we train those kids how to locally produce the antiseptic wash, the bleach and all of the other things that can help keep the environment clean. And they produced 500 bottles within a space of three months and distributed it to 500 children in four correctional centers in Nigeria. So we are typically reaching out to people in, in prisons, inmates and people in correctional centers and helping protect them from the virus. I, I feel they are the most vulnerable for now. Congratulations on going to prisons or working with younger offenders or people who are in correctional facilities and helping them because so much evidence is coming that an awful lot of the COVID is in prisons or is in army barracks or is in similarly overcrowded places. That is so brilliant. Thank you. There are 75,000 people incarcerated in Nigeria's prisons, so protecting them is no small priority. Dr. Lucky Askin offers a larger message for us all. Fighting this virus is everyone's work, and we all have to find our role. Or as he put it, there's glory in a pandemic. Endeavor to find yours. Dr. Navarro then spoke to another health advocate about how the virus is sweeping Africa. So now let's go on to Jane Badham. Jane is in South Africa. According to what I've read from the president and also from Salim of the epidemiology team, you have a really quite nasty resurgence at the moment. Do you want to talk about it? Now, thank you, David, and always good to be able to join the call. And as you say, we on Monday went down into lockdown level four, which really has brought up the question once again of livelihoods, because with restaurants closing for takeaways only, many of them will tell you that's not even profitable for them to try and do that. So they'd rather just close their doors. So that means more people out of jobs and that puts more stress and tension and I'll then add my second point being this is a really bad time to have a surge because of politics, where we have local government elections due later this year, lots of debate whether they can safely carry on. But COVID fatigue is the big reality for, for so many of, of the people I know. People are just tired of it. And then, as you were speaking, it made me realize people are seeing Europe return to normal. And South Africans are saying, we want it too, so let's get rid of our masks. But it doesn't help. So not in a good place at the moment, but we just have to keep positive. 
Holly Wheeler is a global health advisor. She said that how we present the challenges is really important to how we solve them. The things that I've been struck by today, the, the importance of framing and how we talk about this really matters. The narrative that's currently of, you know, we're managing it through vaccines is, is very much a kind of failure of leadership to use framing and to connect with people in terms of what they really care about. And that kind of leads me to my second wondering, if we've got a fragmented world, do we need a networked, a fragmented response? And I had this fantastic conversation with a chief exec recently who said, of a local authority, she said, people are not hard to reach, they're just unconvinced. Like, they're not with us. Actually, it's our job to go and be with them and their concerns and meet them. And I just thought, oh, that's a lovely new way of thinking about they're unconvinced. Holly, that was great. You can't be a systems leader unless you really meet people where they are. And that requires a lot of radical listening and feeling. But you absolutely get messed up if you meet them where you think they ought to be. And I've been thinking a lot about that. And what you've just said really resonates. Our Global Goals cast team usually just listens in quietly to Dr. Navarro's briefings. But we got a big surprise this time. I wanted to invite, if she doesn't mind, and she, I haven't asked her, Claudia Romo Edelman to just unmute herself. With Claudia, I'd been working on the Sustainable Development Agenda and we'd done quite a lot of things together over the period 2000 and 2017. But we also worked quite a lot on something called Hispanic Star, and Claudia's very much involved in the uh, podcast that we've been doing. She's Mexican. She's been through quite a roller coaster in her personal life due to COVID in recent months. And it's a real delight to see you. I suppose what I'm really interested after just be cooperating with you on the Hispanic Star is our Hispanic people in the US and also people in Mexico and Dominican Republic in other parts of the Central America and, and Latin America, are they seeing any light at the end of the tunnel or does it feel like something is just going on and on and on with no end? Yeah, well, thank you so much first and, and foremost, tributes and respect to you, Dr. David Navarro, my admiration and Idi Losh and I, through the Global Goals Cast, were just really privileged to be able to be a conduit uh, of information for people to be able to have information, the pros, the cons, the risks. I lost my mother to COVID. She was in Mexico. She was one of the first cases, 169 days in the hospital fighting COVID. She was able to manage to get out of COVID 90 days after, but then the underlying conditions she had didn't permit her organs to just like recover. I think that what I'm seeing now is that the fear in the Hispanic community, those 60 million people in the United States, Latinos, Mexican, Colombian, Venezuelans, first, second, third generation, uh, they've been one of the most affected, not only the mortality rate, which was higher than the African-American community and higher than anyone else, higher in the 
in the contagious, but now higher in the denial or in the vaccination hesitancy. So I think that if you take a place like New York has 90% of the population vaccinated, but if you average it, that's 70% in wealthy neighborhoods, whereas Queens and Bronx, where my people are, there's a 30% vaccination rate. And that is because of a number of reasons. One is because the information came late and it didn't come on language. And uh, and that has affected the vaccination rates overall. So it's not only that Latinos don't get vaccinated against COVID. It's like Latinos are stopping vaccination, 50% drop in other vaccinations. And so I think that because America is already feeling so good about themselves and like, like so happy about vaccinations rate overall, there's not enough campaigning to get to those minorities that are at risk not only of COVID, but also vaccinations rate overall, leaving us at risk of measles and other diseases outbreaks in the future, particularly in the coming back to school uh, that that is imminent in the fall. So overall, I think that these briefings, Dr. Navarro, are incredibly not only helpful, but also a responsibility of people like us that have a microphone that are in the media that can actually express the urgency, find ways to, well, wake up the fatigue, I'm sorry. Like, how are we gonna sex this up? How are we going to spice it up and look at ways in which, you know, like I worked with AIDS before and it was 30 years and you have to find ways. So I think that that's where we are, trying to find ways to combat the fatigue by putting a little chili and spicy when we can, so that we can elevate the conversation and bring it back. So Claudia, I was really touched when David dedicated the whole briefing to your mom. I really am so delighted that Claudia is here because not only did we work together in the UN, but we became very, very close family friends. So special, special shout out. Actually, Claudia, I was quite impressed that you talked about your mum dying. You told me that it was just one hug with a person who had COVID and she got it. And she fought, as you heard from Claudia, for many, many days. And it was up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, eventually down. What a story. And in memory of your mum, Claudia, that's today. Thank you. I was very moved by Dr. David Navarro recognizing my mother and dedicating actually this briefing to my mother. And I guess like me, there's millions of people that have lost their parents their beloved ones that want to actually, for them, we cannot forget that this is happening. We cannot forget that there are people that are not getting their vaccines and we cannot deny that this might come back again. So for me and for everyone that has lost a beloved one, let's not forget and take action. Right, each of us has a role to play and each of us can be part of changing the world for the better. I'm really proud to be doing this work with you, Claudia. Now, Dr. Nabarro has been clear that vaccines are not the full answer to escaping this pandemic, but they are part of the solution. And when we come back, I will speak with the head of the Serum Institute of India, the largest vaccine manufacturer in the world. I want to hear that. And you will, right after this. This episode of Global Goalscast is brought to you by our listeners. That's right, listeners like you who care about the future. Please spread the word. Tell your friends about Global Goals Cast. Hit the like and subscribe and give us five stars. Thanks also to CBS News Digital and Universal Production Music. 
Welcome back, Kitty. It will take a lot to bring this pandemic under control. We need to overcome our COVID fatigue. We need to stay disciplined about public health measures to keep the virus from spreading. And we need more vaccines. You spoke to someone right in the middle of that question, didn't you? Exactly. I spoke to Adar Punawala. He's the CEO of the Serum Institute of India, the world's largest manufacturer of vaccines. I sat down with him at the India Global Forum last week. I am delighted to welcome to the virtual stage the CEO of the Serum Institute of India, Adar Punawala. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to uh, be with you here at the India Global Forum. Uh, Thank you for having me. So the pandemic wasn't or should not have been a surprise. In fact, we were prepared for it. And we even had a system in place called COVAX to help distribute vaccines in a fair way. But when the crisis came, vaccine distribution became the haves versus the have-nots. What went wrong and how do we set this right? Well, I don't think uh, things have gone that badly wrong, you know. If I just put things in perspective, you need billions of doses of vaccines. And as we all know, the global capacity with all vaccine manufacturers in the world put together is nowhere near enough. Of course, that's being ramped up. We're ramping up. Others are ramping up. And given that shortage, of course, there was going to be always a situation where countries would have to wait. Some of the nations which could afford it did get ahead of uh, some other nations But that's exactly where COVAX plays a role. And we had, in fact, started to export a lot of doses from India. We've exported 60 million doses between January and and the end of February, which is perhaps more than any other country. And, you know, then uh, the second wave in India hit us and we had to focus all the firepower and the vaccines to the Indian population because that was where it was needed the most. I want to take you back to the time when you had to stop exporting. You've mentioned before that it was a really difficult time. You had promised COVAX a lot of vaccines. Vaccines were supposed to go to other parts of the world. When you needed to keep those in India, can you tell me about some of the calls that you had? What happened? What was that time like? (laughs) It was a particularly stressful time. Wow, that is a huge understatement. He was getting it from all sides. In India, government ministers and other powerful people demanded the vaccine. It got so bad he had to flee India because of death threats. Because it wasn't just our partners, AstraZeneca, that needed vaccines for other parts of the world. It was COVAX. It was other countries that we had commitments with. We had taken advance funding. We had to return some of that funding and really explain to other world leaders as well that there really is no choice at the moment and we need to support our nation at the moment for a few months and we will get back to you and it was difficult for everyone to digest that and slowly once they realized and saw what was going on in India everyone was really supportive and understanding and come May, June all that sort of stuff settled down and we've reached a sort of settlement and understanding with all these organizations. It's clear that eventually India will go back to supporting COVAX in a few months and uh, start re-exporting vaccines so that there is equitable distribution, which was the original objective of COVAX. How 
well do you think the world is prepared for the next pandemic? What have you learned? Well, we've learned a lot of things. I think the world can still come together on ensuring long-term capacity. And this is what I've always said that, okay, this pandemic may be hopefully over in two or three years, maybe four years. But then what are we doing about keeping and stockpiling empty capacity? And this is what we have offered to certain regions and other countries. What does that um, mean, stockpiling and empty capacity? So what I mean is entering into a long-term contract for 10 or 15 years with a certain region or a country which doesn't have the ability to manufacture vaccines, giving them the priority at a fixed price. So, for example, imagine that you could have a 15-year idle capacity for a small reservation fee to a manufacturer who could supply an entire region on priority with the push of a button with multiple different technologies and products that could be put in there. So, for example, in five years' time, there's another pandemic. Somebody innovates and makes a messenger RNA or a viral vector vaccine. Where are you going to produce it? Again, to find partners, to uh, find capacity, then you do a tie-up, you negotiate on pricing, all of that. So instead of that, why not have that inbuilt for 15 years as a long-term contract where a lot of countries are willing to do that? I mean, today, for example, what is, where does a country spend their national budget? You know, do they spend it buying fighter jets, arms, space programs, or do they now invest in empty capacity for the long term, which they can, with the push of a button, secure their nation against any pandemic? So this is what I'm proposing, that this is where the world community needs to come together and have four or five of these massive centers of manufacturing, probably in the countries which are already doing it, to be able to service the world going forward. And I think that would be one way of addressing the future pandemics. And again, the global harmonization for regulatory so that a manufacturer does not have to go to multiple different countries and regulators to have a vaccine that adheres to a quality standard that everyone is willing to accept. How do we do that? Who's going to, to organize that? The WHO has been an amazing organization. It is well-known to be under-resourced. Who is going to coordinate that? Well, you've got world leaders. You've got G7, you've got G20, you've got WHO and the UN. I'm sure between these great people and leaders and countries, they can come to some conclusion and understanding because, to be honest, this would be the most impactful as far as being prepared for future pandemics. And I know it's not going to be easy, but you asked me a question, how do we prepare for the future pandemics? This is how you have to do it. It might take away from this briefing and what's happening all across is threefolded. Number one is, as we said in previous episodes, spikes can become surges. And we're really, really, really tired, some of us, to hear it, but there might be spikes and we have to be alert about what caused them so that we don't get into a surge. Number two is that, you know, vaccinated people have to continue being covered and having social distancing and using masks because you might be protected with a vaccine to the virus but you might actually as well transmit it so let's actually not forget how important it is to keep on with the measures that we have to avoid a spike 
And number three is to realize that there is an incredible division right now in the world for those that have received the vaccines and those that haven't. And for those that have not received the vaccines, it's imperative to get their vaccines. And for those countries that have already been vaccinated, recognize that there is a fatigue a COVID fatigue and that people do not want to hear that and don't want to look at it and there is a risk of denial. And when you're in denial, you do not want to hear anything about using masks. You do not want to hear about the risk of a fourth wave of COVID coming into your country. And yet it is imperative and that is why the Global Goals Cast is present in all those briefings to make sure that we understand the fatigue, but we also understand that there is an incredible need for people like us to spice it up, to sexy it up, to waken up the fatigue <laughs> so that people keep on remembering how important it is to be aware to avoid spikes becoming surges. To be fully vaccinated doesn't mean that you're not possible to be a transmitter and that nevertheless, you have to actually keep going in a social conscious way to avoid any transmission further. During these briefings, there's always an illustrator who listens along and draws. And one of the things that the illustrator drew during the briefing today was this really clever piece that people are the key. And it was a person walking into a, a keyhole. And that for me is so critical. The other thing that really resonated with me today was that somebody said, you know, people aren't hard to reach. It's that they're unconvinced. And that goes along with what you just mentioned about COVID fatigue. I loved David's comment that you need to meet people where they are, practice radical listening. It's one of those things that we've all talked about over the last few years, not just with regard to COVID-19, but with regard to politics. And David said, you can't meet people where you think they should be. You have to meet them where they are. And I just last night ended up having a conversation with somebody who is a denier of long COVID. And she's educated, she's smart, she's well-versed in the news. And she just said, no, I don't believe it. And so I, I then went on a 45-minute session of radical listening, at the end of which I provided a little bit of data and said I'd send her some more things to think about. And it's, it's kind of step by step. The other thing that really hit me was, I love The Economist. It's, it's kind of geeky. And this week it published an abnormal C index, which looks where we are today versus where we were pre-pandemic. And so pre-pandemic, it was a scale of 100. Right now we're at about 66. So in terms of flights, in terms of traffic, in terms of retail being open, that kind of thing. But it's very varied and it depends on where you are. So in places like South Africa, in a lockdown, where just 2.4% of the population over 12 has had a single dose, that index is a lot lower. Right. And the thing, Edie, I think that what it gave me, what has been giving me this incredible sets of uh, briefings that we've been attending and reporting is the need for our audience to be informed, 
to be woke, to be educated, to get the pros and cons of the information that they have so that they can make their own informed decisions about what they think or not. The fatigue is real. When you have one year of not seeing people, the one thing you want to see is see people. When you have not traveled for a year, the one thing you want to do is travel. When you have not eaten in a restaurant, that's the one thing that you want to do. And mm. nevertheless, we have to recognize the role that we can play as, you know, like as people that have a microphone, that have a podcast, that have media organizations to understand the role that we all need to be playing to revive conversations. But I remember Edie working for the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis and malaria, the AIDS, HIV AIDS. It was, you know, like really a series of 30 years trying to get the conversation going. We're talking about one year of COVID. I was talking about like really reviving it year after year after 30 years where donors didn't want to give anymore for research, where people didn't want to talk about it anymore because it was really segregated to our, a group of people and not the general population. And it took actually minds and creative people and minds from all sectors to say how do we keep this conversation going how do we actually make sure that this doesn't go down and it's actually just like putting a corner separately and i think that there's like upcoming opportunities that people that listen to this podcast might be aware of and might be, might be caring for fora and uh, milestones like the un general assembly or other big milestones globally where we can start looking at ways in which your own mind can help in stalling conversations so that this doesn't actually go dry and go drop on the drain of the fatigue or the cemetery of ideas that we don't want to ever talk about anymore. I don't want it to go into the cemetery of ideas. That sounds like a really bleak place to be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Edie, this is a wrap. We are concluding one more episode talking about vaccines talking about variants of covid it is important for us to do it we're not gonna go away and we're gonna be champions of waking up all those fatigue people that want to not listen to covid anymore because it's important for us so thank you so much so if you're suffering from covid fatigue or podcast fatigue here's what you can do give us five stars share this episode and give us a comment about what you liked about this episode and follow us on social media at Global Goalscast. Thank you to all of our volunteers, to Julia. This is her last episode that she's going to be with us. Thank you to Dasha. And thank you very much to the India Global Forum and India Inc. for allowing us to use the interview with Adair Punawala. Adios. Global Goalscast was hosted by Edie Lush and Claudia Romo Edelman. We are editorial gurued by Mike Oreskes. Editing and sound production by Simon James. Our operations director is Michelle Kuprider. Music in this episode was courtesy of Universal Production Music, one of the world's leading production music companies creating and licensing music for film, television, advertising, broadcast, and other media, including podcasts. Original music by Neil Hale, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Katie Crone, and Andrew Phillips. Thanks also to CBS News Digital. 
Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro. Hey there, everyone. I'm Sarah Weldon, CEO of Trufinco, a finance company dedicated to helping both budding and established small businesses. I'm thrilled to be hosting Business Perfect Formula, a podcast designed to demystify business funding, real estate investing, and business credit. My goal is to simplify the complexities of alternative lending, showing you that navigating the financial landscape can be straightforward and stress-free. Business Perfect Formula is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.